This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Today on CityCast Madison. It's Thursday, so of course, we're dishing on Madison's food scene. Remember the Roman candle pizza on the corner of Willie and Ingersoll? It's now Sultan, a new small plate Pakistani restaurant, and they're serving classics like curries and biryanis and chai, but with a modern take. And the food isn't the only modern twist. They do not do tipping. We sat down with owner Sultan Ahmad to hear what he's cooking up. It's Thursday, July 6th. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Sultan, hello. Hello, hello. This is very exciting. What are some of the Pakistani cuisine hallmarks that are on offer at Sultan? Yeah, so I think primarily we have Punjabi cuisine. Some highlights of that is we have our Nihari, which is a braised beef shank curry. Um, you primarily find that in like the Sindh region of Pakistan for the most part. Uh, it's very spicy, very savory. It was one of my favorite dishes growing up. So it's like super popular. The biryani is another one. And biryani has been, you know, pretty controversial because uh, I think everyone has their like, this is what biryani is supposed to be, depending on where you grew up and who first made it for you and all of that stuff. And I, you know, at the restaurant, we kind of make it how my mom used to make it, you know, like we took the lessons from uh, the biryani that I grew up with. Um, so I, th- I think those are the two like most recognizable dishes, probably. I love it. Some controversy, some spice, lots of spice. <laughs> <laughs> lots of spice, for sure. And where did you grow up? So I was born in Karachi. Uh, And then my family actually moved around all over the place. So I lived in Dubai. I lived in Egypt for a while. When we moved to the States, we moved to Wadsworth, Ohio. Very, very small town, about an hour south of Cleveland. Um, And that's where I did most of my growing up. So Ohio before Madison, yeah. Dope, dope. So you, because I feel like there's a little bit of fusion too going on, like mixes from different South Asian flavors. And it sounds like because you lived in different places too. Yeah, I think one of the things that we're really trying to do is do for a number of things like modern interpretations um, or more global interpretations of certain dishes. So like I think the alu palak we have on the menu is a great example where traditionally that would be a curry dish that's like in almost a spinach curry with the potatoes cooked right into it. But the way we do it is we create um, a pollock or spinach puree, like a sauce, and then we plate roasted spiced potatoes on top of that. It's still the same flavors. It's the same spices, but um, we deconstruct it a little bit and do a modern plating and presentation so that it brings out the individual flavors of each ingredient a little bit more, in our view. So yeah, there, uh, there are multiple influences that go into the stuff that we do. How would you describe Salton's like ethos or vibe? What we want to do is we want to bring the flavors to the Midwest. That's the goal in a way that highlights the agriculture we have here. 
So we really care about the quality of ingredients we get, the produce, the proteins, all of that is sourced as locally as possible. I think the only thing we don't get locally or like from the region is lobster and scallops because there are no lobsters in the lakes. But um, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, as far as we know, <laughs> yeah, as far as we know, right? <laughs> Buy really high quality ingredients and then we bring the South Asian flavors to those ingredients. And our goal really is to highlight the best of all of that. You know, the spices, the flavors, the cooking techniques that you don't really get in the Midwest, in the United States, but then also the super high quality ingredients that this region has to offer that we can highlight as well. That was very apparent to me. Uh, I tried the lotus root, which I had never had before. It was amazing. Where did you find that around here? So the lotus root actually also doesn't cut. I didn't think of that because um, that's a recent menu addition. Our lotus root is imported because that doesn't grow around here either. And the lotus root was a, a cool addition to the menu, I think, because it's common in some regions of Pakistan to have uh, lotus root curries. But even for South Asian people, it's unusual because you have to go to like very specific places in Pakistan or India to like find lotus root type stuff. It's like one of those, if you know, you know, type of things. Yeah. There aren't a ton of Pakistani restaurants in Madison, are there? No. The only one that I know of had opened on the West Side just before COVID hit. So I think they had like bad timing um, and then they closed shortly thereafter. I went there. I was able to go there once and the food was really good. I enjoyed it and I was sad that they weren't around. But yeah, I think we're the only one in town. Well, you have um, tapas-style small plates. Uh, why did you go with that style? For a couple of reasons. I think that type of style lends itself a little better to both the modern concept that we're trying to do, where we're reinterpreting certain things. It also lends itself better to more nutritious constructions. So I think a lot of the dishes in South Asian cuisine, like when you have curry-based things, there's a lot of oil, there's a lot of fat. And you have large portions um, with accompanying carbohydrates like that's a recipe for unhealthiness. Right. And that's true. I mean, there's a lot of like heart disease, diabetes, that type of stuff. So I think a small plates concept lets us create healthier constructions of those dishes, which feel better to eat, but you can still eat a lot of it. And I think one thing we're trying to do is deconstruct the idea that you need to have rice or bread with everything. These South Asian flavors are incredible. The spices are incredible. And I think sometimes they get lost in the idea that you have to have a carbohydrate as a vehicle to take it in. And the small plates concept lets us get those flavors across, get those ingredients across without the kind of imposition of having a super heavy, heavy meal. I'm really excited right now because I just experienced the food and I'm having the sincere pleasure of getting to hear your thoughtfulness of all of these little things because I, I, I love food. What's your current favorite dish right now? My favorite dish is the Nihari, but that's just like because it's nostalgia from my childhood and I love it. The dish that I think is the best on the menu is the lotus root for sure. I think it has the most vibrant and deep flavors um, out of all the dishes. And everything's like over a sauce. Yeah, you're absolutely right because you still want that curry flavor. You want the blend of the sauce. So what we've done is instead of Curifying everything, you know, we've taken uh, those same flavors, created sauces, and then done a more modern European style plating for some of the items. 
some things like Nihari, you just you leave it the way it is. <laughs> sure. And how about your menu? Does it change seasonally? Yeah, so our menu is going to change fairly often. We've already changed it twice since we've opened, just from like customer feedback and you know different things that we've come up with. We're going to be in our final summer menu state next week. So there's just like one more small change. And then we're probably going to change in the fall, like September time frame. And we're, we're cooking up some some good ideas for that. You've only been open for like a month or so. People are already invested, giving feedback, that sort of thing. Yeah, the, the community like investment has been super amazing. Like I think people, especially in the Willie Street area, really want to see us do well. And so they are very responsive when we ask for feedback and like what they want from the restaurant. Uh, and that's been really great, really helpful to help us grow, I think, more quickly than uh, anyone anticipated, like at least on our side, like we we've been able to really get in the groove really quickly. And it's been great. And I think the community has a lot to do with that. You know, you were our server, which was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, as a business owner, you got to do you got to know your whole business. I think uh, like, yeah, the recipes are mine. And it, this all began from the food and the kitchen and my cooking. But I take every opportunity I can to get involved in every aspect of it, including, you know, serving, being behind the bar, cleaning, like all that stuff. You know, I feel like as the owner, I have to know my business. I can't just only be 50% of it. Yeah. And one of the things that's really unique about Sultan, you don't do tipping. We don't. And you're one of the first restaurants, if not the first restaurant I know about in Madison taking that route. Like then notice that there's nothing, you know, there's nowhere on the check uh, that has a place to add a tip. How'd you come to that decision? So that's something I always wanted to do. You know, the idea of the restaurant has been cooking, so to speak, for a while now. And I've always wanted it to be a no tip spot. I don't think that the customer should have to subsidize my staff's wages. And I also think like if I can't pay my employees a living wage, then I'm not good enough to be open as a business. Like, you know what I mean? I think any business that is succeeding and open should pay their employees what they're worth. Um, and that's just that's just what it is. I also think there's like a lot of education that needs to be done because tipping culture is like so ingrained in our society. You know, we have people say, oh, so tip is just included. And I really want to have the conversation with them where it's like, no, it's not because we don't mark up our checks by 20% and then just distribute that 20% amongst our employees. We pay our employees whether you get a $20 meal or a $100 meal the same, right? And um, we pay them whether we have three customers a night or we have, you know, 100 customers a night. They they get paid the same amount for working and and being there. And I think people need to understand that, like, the, the menu prices are what your food costs. If you have fresh ingredients sourced appropriately and sustainably and you have a labor force that's being paid what they should be paid, that this is what it costs to eat out at a restaurant, you know? Because it's been such a tipping culture, this is kind of, it feels like a radical idea, but it seems pretty straightforward what you're sharing with us. <laughs> yeah, like labor is definitely our highest cost, but 
given our first month numbers, I don't think this is an impossible model. Like I'm very optimistic that we can make it work. We'll see if we're we'll see if we're around after a couple of years, right? <laughs> you mentioned the prices on the menu, and that was something that you know when I was looking it occurred to me. I was thinking, oh, it must be the tips must be incorporated into the prices. But you're saying the, these are prices that are related to the quality of the food, the sustainability of it, those sort of things. Are you concerned at all with any like sticker shock? I think there is a little bit of sticker shock for some people. Like I think when people think of South Asian cuisine, they think of your typical Indian restaurant, right? Where you get a large portion of curry and some rice or some bread. And like you get that for 17 bucks. But no one would go to a French restaurant and think twice about paying these prices for like a small plates thing, right? It's just I think there's some cognitive dissonance because we don't typically associate South Asian food with this model and um, these prices. And that's totally fine. But I also think that people, once they realize it's no tipping, they're like, oh, okay, well, these prices make sense. Well, also, it was a really high quality experience. It, it seems like you are aiming. It's like a little bit of a high end restaurant. Would that be fair? Yeah. I mean, I think we we're not trying to be like fine dining, but what we, we are trying to do is make higher end preparations of food or like more thoughtful preparations of food accessible. We're trying to straddle the line where we're not like to the point where we're considered like fancy or inaccessible or like only for certain type of people. But at the same time, we want to make sure that the food we serve is high quality. The experience is high quality. The service is really good. Yeah, I think we want to make it accessible for sure. And then you're also offering your employees a share of the profits at some point, right? Yeah, for sure. Once we start making profit, employees are going to get 5% um, for, for our staff that work an average of 35 hours a week or more, they will all get 5% share of the profits. I have to admit, you strike me as incredibly thoughtful. And then knowing what you studied, you have a master's in philosophy and medical ethics. I do, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you worked for Epic. There's just something about that training that I feel like is coming out in your work. Am I right about that? No, you're absolutely right. I think with everything I do, not just the restaurant like I do take a thoughtful approach and detail oriented approach uh, my experience at Epic in project management also super helped like putting the restaurant together for anyone who doesn't know there are a million moving parts to, to opening a place a food service establishment and I think the project management background was infinitely helpful in me being able to do that so yeah but what about the so the philosophy? Because I'm like over here hearing you say, hey, if I can't pay my workers a livable wage, then I don't deserve to have this business. I'm like, dang, drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> These jobs need to be done. And I think we've treated them like they're just kind of, oh, yeah, they're like part time casual gigs for people. But it's like not everyone is going to like go to a four-year university and get a degree and have like an office job or you know a stem career or something like that and there are all these jobs in hospitality and maintenance and whatever and i they need to be done and there are people who will do them and if they do them they should earn what you know what they need to live because it's still a job and they're still working 
And when did you know that you wanted something different, like a different career, jumping from Epic to, you know, restaurant owner? Oh, always. I think this has this has been kind of in the back of my mind since I was since I like started at Epic. I know the goal was always to to eventually have a restaurant. I think it started becoming a solid formulation about four years ago, five years ago is when I like really became serious about it. Um, and then I'm kind of thankful that I hadn't pulled the trigger on anything before COVID because COVID hit. And then I was like, oh man, okay, well, I guess I have to wait until, you know, this sort of dies down a little bit at least. Uh, and so now I was able to get it. I think in what is a good time. So what are your big dreams for the restaurant? Um, well, right now, the dream is to be around in two years. Uh, so our our financial projections that like I opened the restaurant will put us in profit at like 1.5 years. So that's like very small profit or profit on the left. So that's the first and immediate goal. Well... I feel so lucky right now talking to you because it feels like I get this little like chef's table experience on <laughs> <of> my favorite <laughs> shows. That's why I feel like your food, the presentation is beautiful. I have to shout out the spicy chais. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we're, we're wishing you all the best of luck and really appreciate you sharing about Sultan. Thank you so much. Sultan Ahmed is the owner and chef at Sultan, a new restaurant on Willie Street. We'll toss a link to their menu in our show notes. And here's what else Madison is talking about. We have a state budget. After threatening to veto it, Governor Tony Evers signed off on the GOP's two-year spending plan for Wisconsin on Wednesday. With a few vetoes. GOP lawmakers have proposed income tax cuts for all tax brackets but Evers only kept the cuts for the lowest two brackets. Also, through some remarkable veto magic involving a well-placed hyphen, Evers allowed for the possibility of additional funding for the state's public schools for the next 400 years. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss said the move would result in massive property tax hikes around the state. And on the UW budget, it's complicated. Are you ready? Lawmakers cut $32 million from the UW system budget, which they said was intended to eliminate diversity, equity, and inclusion programming. But lawmakers gave UW a path to ask for that money back, if they agree to spend it specifically on workforce training. Governor Evers did save the jobs of the UW staff who worked on those programs, so make of that what you will. You know the old Rubens Furniture Building downtown that's been vacant for some time? The historic four-story red brick beauty on Wilson as you head toward the Capitol? It's going to become an apart hotel. That's a combo apartment building and hotel, meaning you can stay by the day or by the month. That's expected to open next January. And you know who else is moving in? Someone who loves this hot, dry weather we've been having, insects. There's an outbreak of spongy moth caterpillars. These spiky little guys eat all the leaves and harm our trees. They feed on trees like oaks, aspen, birch, and willow, to name a few. And the Wisconsin DNR says we could have the worst outbreak in a decade. But you can help protect our city's trees from spongy moths. The city's looking for volunteers to help wrap burlap around tree trunks as a trap. 
Are you feeling Loraxy? We'll throw a link for how to help in our show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not share this episode with your mom or one of the people who cooked for you as a kid? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Ciao.